Yes, 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 yes. Come on, say yes with me. Yes, all right. Friends, this was so great. God has been smiling on us thanks to you. You all get to take a seat and and I'm gonna preach and, and oh yeah, you all can take a seat too. We'll finish up here. Ah, well done. Oh my goodness, well done. What a treat, what a treat. Oh, just feels like a little glimpse of heaven right here. A little, sorry, probably easier to hear me now. <laughs> a little clearer. Oh, my goodness. Friends, so glad to be here with you and, and offering this message. Uh, it's, uh, it's obviously a treat just to be a part of this weekend. I mean, the fact that you're here, that you're with us online, this, this is a joy. It's a very special and dear community to us, almost a church within a church, the Access and Community Arts Connection, and being pastored by people like Marty and Heather, and, and just to see what's happened over the last several years blows me away, and, and I, I, I just... I'm just so glad. We are a better church, Northland. I'm a better person because of the people that you're being led and worshipped by right now. Jesus uses them in our lives in such a powerful way. I, I also want to just acknowledge Jim. Um, keep praying for Jim and Penny, uh, his sister. And, and it's, um, I was looking forward to Jim delivering this message for a lot of different reasons. And honestly, his mind and his ministry have shaped what you're about to hear. I, I'm really standing on the shoulder of a giant, so to speak, as I, as I offer this message. And it is a privilege to step in, but I, 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 let me make it very clear to you. What I have seen in somebody like Jim, what you are about to see in the life of David in these scriptures, and what Jesus cultivates in every one of us who responds to him is a trusting heart, a heart after God. And that's, that's our message today. We are pursuing throughout the series, but I, what does it look like to have a heart after God? Our preachers have talked about an anointed heart, uh, a bold heart, a friendly heart. I'm here today to talk about a trusting heart. We, when, we trust, when, when we trust, we see God's heart cultivated in us. What a beautiful thing. So we're going into the life of David. We're still early in his life. He's a young man. He's a young man on the run. Why is he on the run? Well, King Saul has, uh, has, has had a, a tricky relationship with David. Loved him dearly. Pulled him into his house. Said, I want you to be with me. And, and I mean, David did so many great things for him. But all of a sudden, the people started liking David. <laughs> and, and Saul went, his, his jealousy, his enviousness, his, uh, just the, the, the personal demons he had reared up. And all of a sudden, David's getting mixed messages from him. I, I love you. I want you. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to find you. So we find this particular key passage that we're going to begin the message with from 1 Samuel 26. It comes at a time a second time, actually, that Saul has gone out to try to kill David with his whole army. God protected David and actually even put Saul in a position where David could have killed him. And David spared his life again. And we see the, the words of David here in, in chapter 26. And you're going to see the words. <laughs> there they are. The Lord rewards every man for his righteousness. And his faithfulness. For the Lord gave you into my hand today. I would not put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. Behold, as your life 
was precious this day in my sight, so may my life be precious in, in, in the sight of the Lord, and may he deliver me out of all tribulation. And then Saul responds, change of mind, change of heart, and he says to David, blessed be you, my son David. You will do many things and will succeed in them. So David went his way, and Saul returned to his place. What's, what's happening here? Something fairly profound, and it's the biggest key as we begin to, what does it look like to cultivate this trusting heart, a heart after God? What it looks like is, is this idea of the preciousness of life. You see in here, David realizing the value of everything that God has created and how God is passionate about the beauty in every nook and cranny of his creation. And that, that allows us to see in a very different perspective. But the question I want us to pose today and for the, the frame this message is really, how can I purposely position my heart to trust God? How can you purposely position your heart to trust God. David's life answers this in three specific ways, as we'll see in this text. First way is just simply by seeing the value of identity. David really saw the value of our identity in, in how we purposely pursue this kind of a trusting heart in God. The value of our identity, what does, what does that mean? David's identity was very rooted in who he was, where he came from, as well as who his God was. We see that in some of the stories we've seen in the last couple of weeks. That's, pretty, that's a pretty big deal. How much of that connects with you when you think about your identity and where you're coming from and how you approach life? Are you aware? Well, let's, let's see how quick, quick David was. We see in this next passage of Scripture, uh, 1 Samuel 17, 58. This is right after the David and Goliath story. And Saul poses a question. And, and David is really quick to answer. He says, uh, Saul says, Whose son are you, young man? And David answered, I am the son of your servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite. That's a real quick answer, real understandable. And lays a foundation for the way that our identity is, is how God pulls out of us what he intends for our lives. And David's response was clearly rooted in the fact that he knew who he was. He knew he was rooted in this, this relationship as a son of Jesse. Uh, we also see in other passages where David's identity is formed by the fact that he's a friend of Jonathan. See that again in just a moment. Also see that he had a job with Saul. Those are things that form our identity. And, and that's beautiful, especially for those of us who are responding to Christ and trusting him in our daily lives. That makes us rooted in a Christ identity. It's rooted in who God is. God is who we respond to, a God of justice and righteousness and mercy and compassion who creates and redeems and restores. This is our God. We've worshiped him, the, the King Jesus, the King we can trust. Not like Saul, who is not very trustworthy, but we have a King we can trust. What a beautiful message to us. You know, the tricky thing is, though, when we begin to know God, we realize he knows us. He sees us. He sees the us that we may not want other people to see. He sees the us that we may even try to hide from him. Futile effort at that, but, but hey, what is, it that, what is it that you look at and go, well, uh-oh, he knows this about me. He knows that I like to sneak away for a smoke here or there. Oh, yeah, yeah, I drink a little too much. 
I overate again, trying to fill up that void inside. I'm being ruled by my guilty conscience. I'm I'm consumed with with fear. These are the things that battle with you and me that, that, that say, that's your identity. That's who you are. No, it's not. Those behaviors, those kind of things do not speak to the, to the God who knows you. And, and honestly, when he knows those things about you or whatever it is for you, fill in the blank, what does he do? He uses those things that we think separate us from him to actually draw the best out of us. How does this happen? Well, let me share with you one of the ways it happens. Actually, it's from Brennan Manning, a wonderful author, uh, a guy who who really knew what it was like to battle with some of those demons I just mentioned. And as he spoke here a couple of times at Northland over the years, uh, he certainly endeared himself to us, but his books are powerful. And in Ruthless Trust, we find this quote that just speaks to what does it look like to trust in Jesus in a way that cultivates this kind of heart? Our trust in Jesus, he said, grows as we shift from making self-conscious efforts to be good to allowing ourselves to be loved as we are not as we should be. The Holy Spirit moves from the head to the heart. Again, we're talking about a heart after God. Know these certain things, but what does it look like for that to seep down? From intellectual cognition to experiential awareness. That shift from trying to be good to allowing ourselves to be loved is foundational for all we're talking about today. That kind of shift allows our identity to be shaped by the only one who really knows you and wants you to be known. That's Jesus. I'm so grateful for that. So when we do that, ironically, um, we will notice things about ourselves, and our, our sin will be front and center, but the freedom to confess, to respond to God in that, to repent, and to trust him, that's where the trust comes, when we realize we're safe with our God. We're safe with Jesus. He has set us free to have an identity as the beloved of God, What a treasure. What a treasure. You know, David lived this out. I'm not just talking about this as a quote. I'm not just talking about this as something that my friends Vernon and Chad introduced me to. These are are concepts that are very much about a gospel-saturated imagination. That's what fueled the Psalms. When we read the Psalms, especially David's Psalms, we see this gospel-saturated imagination flowing from it. And that's what invites us to this, to, to our God. So that's this identity we're, we're in. That's where we, we begin to live our life out of that. And we do that, like David, regardless of what comes. And what comes for David? A whole lot of adversity. Friends, that's going to come for us too. Adversity is unavoidable, but as God would have it, as we purposely position our lives in order to trust God and our hearts to trust God, you know what's going to happen? We're going to understand the value of identity like I just talked about. We're also going to understand the role of adversity. Adversity happens. Adversity happens to David (laughs) out of no fault of his own. I mean, Saul's after him and all David ever did was try to love him and serve him. And, and oftentimes, adversity is one of those things we just raise our hands and go, God, why are you being so cruel to me? What's going on in this situation? All of us have to face adversity. What is the role of adversity in cultivating a trusting heart in God? Well, let's look at that a little bit, particularly from what we see in 1 Samuel 24, 12, this next verse. Again, it's where Saul is set up against David, but David doesn't despair 
We see in the Psalms, he laments and he cries out, but his despair turns into something else. And he gives us a key here is how do we pivot? How do we go from our places of despair to places of trust and hope? Well, the words we see here from David are, May the Lord judge between me and you, he says to Saul. May the Lord avenge me against you, but my hand shall not be against you. Where's where's he going with this? The key in this passage is that David is saying, I'm not going to respond to my circumstances. I'm not going to respond to people. I'm going to respond to God. I'm going to take my cues for him. If there's vengeance that needs to be taken out, It's not my job to avenge myself. It's not even my job to protect myself. These are the things that when we trust God, he he explodes our mind with them. So now I realize, I acknowledge in this, you're like me, I'm sure. I am tempted to take the easy way out of every adversity I've ever been in. (laughs) What happens when you face adversity and I face adversity? I, I melt down. I have a meltdown. You? Maybe. (laughs) Sorry, Maribel, I didn't mean to look directly at you. No insinuation there. (laughs) But but uh, we we have these challenges that we, we encounter. And yet, instead of that kind of a meltdown, instead of that kind of a falling apart or getting undone with adversity, seeing adversity from God's perspective and from God's view is exactly what we need to do. You see, Joseph gave us this great example, the end of, the end of Genesis, a very famous verse in, in 50, chapter 50, verse 20. He just says, my brothers, what you intended for evil, God has used for good. God's perspective on the things that we're going through is so, so important. That's very important as well. One of our interns in the worship team, Amanda Adair, pointed out in the preparation for this that so often we think the fact that we're having adversity in our lives is somehow our fault. We're doing something wrong. David wasn't doing anything wrong, but yet he had adversity. And that's part of what I challenge you to look at is go, instead of that despair, what does it look like to really turn Turn to Jesus in the midst of this. Well, here's a couple of, a couple of thoughts. Um, honestly, I think that perspective comes from something that I, one of my favorite old stories. Many of you have probably heard it, but it's, but it's a really good one, so it bears repeating. It's about a, China, a Chinese man on the frontier, and this man and his son lived in a small village. They had a horse, a mare, and, and the villagers were part of their community, and one day, uh, the unfortunate happened. The mayor ran away. And the villagers came by and said, oh, I'm so sorry, what a loss. And the wise father looked at him, looked at the villagers and just said, what makes you so sure this isn't a blessing? A couple weeks later, the mayor comes on back. Right by her side is a big stallion, about almost twice the size of the mayor. And that stallion was stronger and able to develop some wealth for this man and his son. And that's exactly what happened. And the villagers came by and went, what? Uh, what a great thing. You're, you have so much favor with God, obviously. And, and, and the man said, what makes you think this isn't a disaster? Well, it wasn't too much longer before his son was out riding on that stallion and he got thrown from the horse and fell and, and, and broke his hip and he was crippled. Again, the villagers come by to console them and express their condolences and, and the man looks at him and says, hmm, so what makes you sure that this is not a blessing? 
It wasn't too long afterwards that the nomads from across the border came attacking that area, and all the young men in that village had to go fight, except for this crippled young man. Again, we see in this wise man a one who sees that even when nine out of ten of the young men were killed and, and the in that village, and, and, the, and the villagers looked at the man and said, you must be blessed. This is perspective of going, what, what is a blessing? What is a disaster? It's, it's so much about keying into, God may be using your adversity. Let me, let me put it this way. We think adversity is something that happens to us. What if it's something that happens for us? What if adversity is not just something that happens to us, but happens for us? This is the way God transforms our adversities and allows trusting hearts to develop in that. So a lot of things to think about. I'm going to press on because as we look at this, our biggest temptation in the midst of our struggles is honestly the temptation to isolate or or to recoil because it hurts. It's painful. It's not easy to go through adversity. None of us wants it. But what happens when we give in to that temptation? We lose out on belonging. So here's the deal. How can we purposely position our hearts before God? In order to trust him, we understand the value of identity. It's number one. We understand the role of adversity. And then finally, we understand the benefit of belonging. We are made for relationship. We are meant to be together. And what a blow this last year or so has hit with that. COVID, pandemic, so many of us are reeling from places of just not, not enjoying the belongingness that we used to so naturally. And so here we are in a time, but I bet even if we put COVID aside, I bet you can think about a few different circumstances or situations where you go, yeah, I'm, I, I'm, I'm struggling with with keeping myself separate from others for certain reasons. What, that might, what might that temptation be about? Well, let's take a look, first of all, at, at David. How did he employ this principle of belonging as a great value? We see in 1 Samuel 18, verses 1 and 2, as soon as he has finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. This is, again, shortly after the David and Goliath situation. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his house. I mentioned this earlier. This is an example of that belonging as a friend to Jonathan, as a family member to Jesse, as a worker to Saul. But if you look a little bit further into the life of David, it's not just the roles that gave him a sense of belonging and a sense of meaning. It was the fact that he was a part of a band of brothers. He cultivated this fruit through his whole life. Have you ever heard of David's mighty men? Anybody heard of that? That's, I don't know whether we get to that in the sermon series. It's several chapters into the next book of Samuel. But what a powerful force being a part of a community was for him. We see, even in this next passage of scripture, a couple chapters later, 1 Samuel 22, uh, 1 and 2. This is, this is right, right when Saul began to persecute him. And, and what we see Saul uh, doing is persecution, but what we, see, what we see happening to David is that God arranges a community around him. When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him, and he became their commander. About 400 men were with him. Now, 
I acknowledge that might sound like a sort of ragtag bunch of people, right? <laughs> the distressed, the discontented. Uh, I, I know that might not be the community that you choose. Might not be the community that I would choose. But that's one of the principles of belonging. Oftentimes, the community we need, oftentimes the belonging we need, is not what we would choose. It's what God arranges for us in order to orchestrate this kind of change and this kind of trusting heart. So, very powerful kinds of things. And I, I, I will say a disclaimer. Note, we, we will never fully belong this side of heaven. We live in a fallen world. We struggle with, uh, we just, we do struggle. We're not there yet. And yet that doesn't mean that God hasn't given in our hearts this deep longing for the kind of connection that, that goes beyond us. And so even in the limitations of this, we get the opportunity to trust God in finding the kind of heart that's really connected to others. God is faithful to provide that. So as I was asking yesterday for some help on this, uh, this sermon, a couple of people helped out. I've already mentioned my gratitude to Pastor Vernon over here um, for giving some of these, these stories. I, my wife also helped me out yesterday. Thank you, dear Linda. And what I was saying was, what, is it, what does this belonging look like? How does, how does this change somebody's life? And ironically, Vernon introduced me to a, an interview with Brene Brown about some middle school study that, that she was doing. And then my wife being a middle school teacher, I went, this is a convergence of great things. So Linda told me the story yesterday that was so cool. I'll change the names of the boys just to protect the guilty. But <laughs> the, there's this little boy named Alex, we'll say, who was really rambunctious and a difficult kid. And, and in her class, but he started coming to FCA. Very good choice, Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And, and part of what Linda saw was potential, and so she challenged him to take on some leadership opportunities, and he did begin to grow a little bit. And then one day, she noticed that there was this guy, we'll call him Jack, and Jack was even more rambunctious than Aiden used to be, <laughs> Alex used to be, whoops, <laughs> than Alex used to be. And Alex... Um, and Linda, Linda said, you know, Alex, you ought to go sit over next to Jack and spend some time with him. And so he did. And what started happening was the, the positive rub-off that happens, positive peer pressure. Both of them began to raise, rise to the occasion. Before long, Alex was speaking at FCA. Jaden was looking like a, a whole different person. Jack, I'm, it's the 11 o'clock service. I should have this together by now, shouldn't I? Well, anyway, one started with an A, one started with a J. With a J. The point being, these, these boys, you saw the power of beginning to belong. Now, now, they're on a journey. They're middle schoolers. They've got a long way to go. But what does that illustrate? It illustrates to us that we, we have the need for a kind of connection that's spiritual, that's deep, that's not, not, just, about, not just about a surface level, but, but what God does spiritually in us. And that's part of what Brene Brown observed. Ironically, she also observed that in middle schoolers, middle schoolers taught her this. Middle schoolers can teach you something. What they told her was that, you know, fitting in is about me wanting to be a part of something. But belonging is about when others want me to be a part of their thing. Think about that for a little bit. Part of what is so magical and godly and beautiful about belonging is that we're, we don't have control over that. 
It's got to be something that he orchestrates for us. And that's why it's such a spiritual thing. You see on the screen right now, some of, some of what Brene reports as her fi findings, we're inextricably connected to each other by something greater than us. And that thing that is greater than us is rooted in love and compassion. That there's something bigger than us and that we are connected to each other in a way that cannot be severed. Man, does that, does that just evoke the kinds of things we're talking about, a heart after God right now? That's exactly what this is about. You see, it reminds me also of what I said, the Brendan Manning quote earlier, allowing ourselves to be loved as we are, that love and compassion is a rich part of belonging. So are we prioritizing that? How does this all work out? I want to close with this, uh, this thought. Why am I preaching right now? It may, it may seem obvious. Jim Huckel, wonderful man, wasn't able to preach because of certain circumstances. Somebody had to do it. If, if you know a little bit about the history of Northland, you might think, oh, well, they turned to Kevin because he's been, he's been around here a long time. And, and, and I, he's, he, he has some great love and admiration for people who are the foundation of this access ministry, people like Laura Lee Wright and, Tim and Tom and Linda Starnes and Sharon Spano, Eleanor Tracy. Uh, and I do love them dearly and what they've done for this church and this community. Golly, golly. But there's a far more personal, far more deep reason that I was asked to present this message to you today. It's rooted in a couple of years ago, a really dark time. The adversity that I'm describing to you, I'm not talking about as hearsay. It was one of the roughest times. Decades around here, loving this church dearly. And yet, I would walk in this room and I couldn't worship. It was too painful. Too difficult. And that was about the time that Rhythms of Grace was starting up a couple of years ago. And Heather said to all the staff, come join us, see what this is like. And a few of us did. And and that was great, but you know what? I, I just never stopped coming. Yeah, she said, hey, will you teach this lesson or will you do this part? And I said, sure. But something far deeper was happening there. People like, like Tyler, like Karen, like Michelle. Daniel. It was the community that God wanted me to belong to at that moment. It was the community that wrapped themselves around me and said, you have a place. You are loved. You are wanted. And I thrived. You see, these guys preached this message to me long before I ever opened my mouth and became the mouthpiece to you for it today. When I say I stand on the shoulders of giants to share with you this truth, it's not because I'm talking just about Jim. I'm talking about a lot of people that you see and that you don't see. These are the people who have paved the way for us to live out this message. If you want to join me in purposely positioning your heart to trust God, it's not just about valuing identity. It is with an anointed heart. It's also about seeing the role of adversity and, and having a bold heart. It's certainly about putting that friendly heart to, to work in a belonging environment. 
But it's about trusting God to put you where he wants you to be and relishing it. Tell you what I'm going to relish, and that's this team coming back here on the platform in just a moment and leading us in a closing song. Awesome song. You are going to love it. So get on up here, friends. Come from wherever you are. Find your positions. As they do that, I'm going to just say to you, what's your next step? I trust the Holy Spirit to apply this to your heart in his way. But, you know, if if you're struggling with that identity and, and you don't even know if you are a follower of Jesus, that may be your next step. Trust repent, believe. Let one of our new believer guides come alongside of you, a real person to walk through this with you. Let one of us know that you've made that kind of choice today to say, I want my identity to be shaped by Jesus. Maybe it really is that you're in the midst of adversity and your identities become your adversity. We would love to connect you to something like Celebrate Recovery or a support environment or discipleship relationship where you can begin to see beyond beyond what has consumed your identity right now. And it may be that you're just feeling lonely or isolated. You're not alone. All of us have struggled with that recently. But if you need that next step, know that we have something called Belong and Grow. It's in the name. It's our way of helping you take those next steps toward community and toward relationship or any other disciple-making effort. Let us know. Heather's going to tell you at the end of the service how to do that, whether you're online or whether you're here with us. But for now, friends, let's do this. Come on.